The following audio is from River City Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at rivercityrichmond.org. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Good morning. It is a joy and a pleasure to be able to, to preach and speak God's word to you on the first Sunday of the new year. I love the fact that we're all gathered here today. I think it just shows what a, what a wonderful priority it is to come together and worship around, uh, around God's word. So how was 2022 for you? How was 2022 for you? Well, if you've picked up any newspaper or magazine in the, in the recent weeks, you'll know that that is the big question you're supposed to be asking yourself. Not just, you know, what, how is this year that passed, but what's ahead next year? What should you do differently based on what you did this year? You know, this is, this is actually really easy for me to do. In the last week of the year, I celebrate, uh, I celebrate Christmas, my birthday, my wedding anniversary, and New Year's Day all within a week. And so it's a pretty natural and normal time for me to wonder, what is my life about? What's happening? Is there anything new going on? It's pretty natural. So what about you? What are your plans for 2023? What might God be calling you to in 2023? Well, this morning, this is going to be kind of an unusual sermon at this church. If you've been coming to RCBC for any length of time, you know that our our normal diet is verse by verse going through the the Bible, going through Scripture. That expositional preaching is what we normally do. And it's it's more than just a preference. It is our conviction. Uh, And and so that will continue to be the main diet of our church. But we've always said it's the main diet, not the exclusive diet. And so because we do believe there are some times when it's helpful to zoom out on one particular topic and look at it in light of various principles and different uh, passages in the Bible. And so on the first day of a brand new year, that's what I want to do with you this morning. This morning, we'll consider the topic of calling. So why calling? Well, it's, it's something that's very personal to me in the sense that I've thought about it a lot. I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, this, and it also comes up in a lot of different conversations, some version of calling and what that means. Uh, it's also, I think, a topic that Christians, I think, use without much thought and that I think they misunderstand. So we can see examples of people in the Bible, uh, and, and they're called to do things. 
And so we believe if God has a sovereign plan for our lives, then it makes sense for each of us to have a special, unique calling, sort of one big thing for which God made us and for what He, he intends to accomplish through us in our short lives. And so I, I, I know I used to think, shouldn't I work hard to figure out what that one big thing is in my life and then pursue it with all my passion and gifting? So at times you might have found me around the campfire, subjectively hoping I could see the smoke form a fireman and just know that's what I was to do with my life. Or, or other times I've been a little bit more objective in my search for what that one big thing is. Sitting down with a journal, thinking through what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, different experiences in my life. Is there a pattern? Is there something God is leading me to do? I think this conception of calling is also very appealing, right? It's, it's a very appealing conception. On the one hand, if you think you've already found your calling, it imbues your life with extra significance, right? This is what I was made for, we might think. This is my calling. And on the other hand, if you're not in your calling, it gives you hope, right? It gives you something to shoot for. Maybe even provides a hope of what God has in store. I'm just living like this for a short time. My calling is something else. But I think it's also, it's also easy to see some of the dangers of this view of calling. You know, for one thing, it can easily lead to discouragement, right? Either because you're convinced You're not doing what God might have for you. Or even worse, because you can't figure out what it is that God wants you to do. And it can even leave us perpetually discontent, right? Waiting for God to finally give us whatever we think our calling is. Well, this morning, I want us to consider what the Bible has to say about calling. And then I want us to consider implications for our lives in 2023. So let me give you the main idea, the main idea I want to get across. The main idea is this. The Christian is to lead the life that the Lord has assigned, and in all we do, to live faithfully as unto the Lord. So the main idea. The Christian is to lead the life that the Lord has assigned, and in all we do, to live faithfully as unto the Lord. Sort of to say it another way, who we live for is more important than what we do. Who we live for is more important than what we do. So I want want to walk through and unpack this main idea in three, kind of three parts to this sermon. First, we're going to look at a general survey of how the Bible uses the word calling. Second, we'll take a look at a little bit more in depth at Paul's use of calling in 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. And then third, we'll apply these truths to our lives. Okay, so first, what does the Bible mean when it talks about calling? What does the Bible say if we look at it across it? Well, the word call appears hundreds of times in the Bible in some form. Call, called, calling, calls, these different variations of it. It's used hundreds of times, and it's used with several different meanings. Now, the vast majority of times, probably 90%, it simply means that something was named or it's used as a verb. So think they called the place Bethlehem, or they called him by the name Isaac, or Pharaoh called Moses to the palace. So that's, that's the vast majority of times. It's just used quite literally. But there's four other ways that call, or some variation of that, is used in the Bible. And the first 
uh, is the general call of the gospel. The first way is the general call of the gospel. And the, the New Testament several times speaks of the general call to believe in Jesus. So in Matthew 9.13, Jesus says he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Matthew 22.14, he explains that many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, the universal call of the gospel goes out to everyone, goes out to the whole human race. But not all of those who hear it actually are brought to salvation. So friend, if you're here this morning and you've never heard the call of the gospel and you're thinking to yourself, what is the gospel? Well, let me be crystal clear on what the gospel is. The gospel says that there's a perfect God who created us and he created us to, to worship him and to be in relationship with him. We, man, woman, we rebelled against God. First, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And then everybody who was born since then has rebelled against God. We've, we've decided we'd rather worship what we want to worship and not the God who deserves worship. God has declared that there's a penalty for that. There's a penalty for, for our sin against Him. And uh, that looks like death and eternal separation from Him. It also looks like suffering in this world. But God in His love sent Jesus, His one and only Son, to be a perfect substitute for those who would trust in Him for their sin. He lived a perfect life. He died a death that we deserve. And He rose again, conquering sin and death, proving that nothing could possibly stand in the way of God's love and forgiveness if we repent and believe in Him. And that's really our necessary response. It's not enough just to know the gospel, but we must re respond in repentance of faith. Repentance just means agree with God, with what our sin is, and belief, faith means cling to Christ in our place for our righteousness. So as you'll hear in this sermon though, the gospel not only brings salvation, it not only saves us, it also informs and energizes our entire lives as our hearts and minds are reoriented around Christ and living for Him. So that's, that's the first way call is used in the Bible. Second way is the Holy Spirit's call to salvation. Second way the New Testament uses it is, is describing the call of the Holy Spirit. It's used to refer to when somebody becomes a Christian. So the Apostle Paul particularly used this idea of calling often. It's what he means in Romans 8.30 when he says that those whom he called, he also justified. So in this verse, Paul shows us that when the Holy Spirit calls someone, salvation always necessarily follows. It's an effectual call. It always comes to fruition. And that's the second way call is used. Think of it as when you become a Christian. Okay, the third way Third way the Bible often uses this word calling is describe our position or identity as part of God's family. So this use of calling, I think, helps us understand what it means that we're part of a royal family. If we've become Christians, we have a new family. And that new family is described as a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And we see this, the roots of this, in, in the Old Testament, where God tells the people of Israel that the world will know that they are called by His name in Deuteronomy 28.10. And as a result of this calling, they will get to live in covenant with him. They will have God as their God, and they will be a light to the nations. And uh, we, we also see 
In the New Testament, since we have a new position and a new identity in a family, that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. That's in Ephesians 4.1. So part of calling is to live in a way is to be part of that family. So it's important to stop here as we kind of look at what the Bible has to say about calling and recognize that what I've talked about so far is by far the most important thing the Bible says about our callings of Christians, as Christians, right? We have heard the call of the gospel. We have received salvation through the call of the Holy Spirit. We've been called a new people. And we've been given an identity that demands we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we've been called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to do good works. These are the, this is the call that is true of every single one of us that calls ourselves Christians. Right? Do you see the point here? No matter the particulars of your life, this above all is the calling that God has given you and every other believer to follow Jesus and to live a life worthy of Him. I love how Oz Guinness summarizes this in his book, The Call. He writes, Calling is the truth that God calls us to Himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to His summons and service. Another way of saying this, who we live for is motivation for what we do. Who we live for is motivation for what we do. So, with all this in mind, you might still be wondering, do I have a calling to do the one big thing? Which leads us to the fourth and final meaning of the word calling. And this is the one that probably causes Christians the most confusion. Right? It's the calling given to a prophet or apostle who's given in a, a specific task or message. So we know Paul often begins his letters by introducing himself as Paul called to be an apostle. Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 1. Call of Jeremiah doesn't actually use that word, but it uses a similar word where God appointed him for a specific task. We know God is said to have called Moses from the burning bush. On the night Samuel received the word of God, the word call is used several times. And then finally, Jesus, of course, called James and John as they were fishing offshore in a boat. So so we see this type of calling that prophets and apostles received. And we, you know, this can sometimes be a problem for us, right? Because we take this idea and we effectively apply it to our lives. We think if God called apostles and prophets in this audible or very specific way, then that should apply directly to our lives. So you might have even heard a sermon in which the speaker said something like, just as Jeremiah was called, so all of us are called. So find your calling and pursue it. Well, but can we really do that? Can we really take that same lesson? Is Paul's call to be an apostle or Jeremiah's call to be a prophet the same thing as, say, a pastor's call to ministry or a business person's call to a particular kind of business or retirees call to volunteer, or on and on. Is that, is that the same? Well, I'd say no. After all, the call to be an apostle always required someone to be literally appointed to that office by Jesus himself. He was face-to-face with them, calling them into that. That's why Paul was so insistent that he had seen the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
The call to be an apostle wasn't an impression. It wasn't a strong feeling. It wasn't a spiritual experience or a matter of seeing a sign. It was a matter of Jesus himself looking them in the eye and saying, as he did to Paul, I am sending you. And something similar to this happened to the prophets when God called them to their offices. They encountered God face to face, and he personally appointed them to their roles. So with that in mind, we simply can't take the stories of these types of calling and apply them to our own lives. We can't say, God called me to do this in the same way and with that same level of certainty that the apostles or prophets could claim that. We haven't seen God face to face as they have. Apostles and prophets held a unique place in God's plan of redemption, and so their appointment was also very unique. If we say that we experience something just the same as they did, we are saying that we don't take those positions seriously. We're downplaying the seriousness with which the Bible uses this idea of, of calling them. So, is there anywhere at all in the Bible that uses calling to describe something more similar to what we mean when we say, God called me to this? Is there a place like that? The answer, yes. And that leads us to our second point. And I want to take a deeper dive now into 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. Uh, I'm going to read this again. We heard it read earlier. I'll read it again. And as I do, listen for how many times the word call appears and try to think about which category it is. And then we'll, we'll sort of unpack it. Okay, let me read this. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So the context of this passage is that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and outlining what it means to live as a church, what it means to live as a body of believers. And the the Corinthians had some really specific questions for Paul. So at the beginning of chapter 7, Paul says, now for the matters that you wrote about. Clearly, he's responding to questions they have. They probably had some some pretty gnarly questions. And they're sort of asking, now that I'm a Christian, what in my life needs to change? What is it supposed to look like? And so they had these specific questions. It wouldn't be that, un, it'd be very similar that, you know, you might pose a question to Matt, myself, uh, Josh, when you're looking for counsel in a specific situation that might not be very straightforward, right? You, you don't exactly know how the Bible applies, and so you might ask a question. That's basically what they're doing. And so how does Paul answer this question? How does Paul do it? Well, he does it with a sandwich. Um, have you ever had just a really yummy club sandwich? Uh, For example, Nikki loves the salmon club up the road at the Continental. 
And what makes a club so yummy? Well, it's the layers of goodness that are put in here. And Paul does this right here. He models how to pastor by laying out a principle, then giving an illustration, reinforcing the principle, giving another example, and then concluding again with the principle. He effectively puts this together for them. So let's, let's take a deeper look at this. Verse 17, he lays out the principle. We'll, we'll come back to this verse in a minute, verse 17. But here I just want you to see what Paul's saying. The principle rule, once you become a Christian, what does he say the principle rule is? Don't worry about changing your station in life. Your station in life is not nearly as important as it is to live for Christ in that station, right? That's what he's saying here. That's the principle. The, the principle is not the station of life needs to change. Whatever station you're in, you can live for Christ. He then illustrates this with the example of circumcision. So why did he pick circumcision? Well, they were asking, in order to follow Jesus, does it matter what your ethnic or religious background is? Is one better or more important than the other? See, for them, circumcision would have represented really the differences between Jews and Gentiles. That's what it would have represented for them. And Paul's saying, you don't need to become a Jew to follow Jesus. You can follow Jesus as a Gentile or you can follow Jesus as a Jew. He's illustrating with this example. Verse 20, he again reminds us of the principle. He, he reminds us of this principle again. In each, again, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. He then illustrates this again by talking about the practice of slavery. Now, slavery was widespread in the Roman world. Probably 25% of the population were slaves. And to be clear, this was not ethnically based slavery that was later practiced in our own country. Uh, Paul here is not approving of slavery. In fact, we know elsewhere he, leads, he lays the seeds that undermine the practice and will in, in eventually lead to its, to its abolition. But here, his point is simply that even slaves can live faithfully for Christ. Even slaves can live faithfully for Christ. Uh, and so then, finally, in verse 24, he says the principle again. He, he, he reestablishes in, in the principle and he completes the sandwich saying uh, each person should remain in the situation they were when God called them. So three things to note from this passage, three observations. First, the overarching principle for Paul is to live for Christ. That's the overarching principle he cares most about. His point here, if you are a Christian, then you can live a faithful and fruitful life to God in whatever circumstances God has you in. Jew or Gentile, slave or free, living faithfully for King Jesus isn't a matter of social, economic, ethnic, or nationalistic identity. Living for Jesus supersedes all of these identities and circumstances. I just think this is such an encouragement for us, right? Do you realize that regardless of your background, regardless of things you've done in the past or things that have been done to you, regardless of where you've come from, you can have a new life in Jesus and you can live faithfully for the King. He's rescued you from being a rebel against Him and He has employed you in service to Him. Whatever your background, all of us were rebels against the king. And now that same king has enlisted us in his service and given us a role to play and a way to participate with him. So that's the first observation. The second observation, 
Paul uses this word calling, in, specifically in verse 17, to mean all of life's circumstances. All of life's circumstances. So we saw here some form of the word call when I read it was used eight different times over the course of these eight verses. And in seven of those instances, it was used in one of the ways we described, right? It was, it was kind of that calling of the Holy Spirit, basically the moment they became Christians. So seven of the times you read this and it basically says, stay in the situation you were in when you became a Christian. That's how we would read that. But there is one time where call is used in a different way, and that's found in verse 17. And here, it doesn't refer to when somebody became a Christian. Instead, it refers to the person's life circumstances. Paul says, lead the life to which God called you. How do we know this one? Verse 17, Paul says twice that we should live the life God has given us, but he says it in two different ways. You can see them both here. It says that each of us should live the life the Lord has assigned him to which God has called him. So it's using assigned and called in parallel form. And in this type of writing was often used in Hebrew to make a point, right? He's, he's doubling down on saying the same thing. Today, it helps us to understand what Paul means here by the word called. It includes the entire life set of life circumstances that God has assigned you. And this is a very helpful thing to see because we see that our calling is not just to do one big thing. That's not what it is. Every single circumstance of, of our life is part of that to which God has called us. And then the third observation, our assignments can change. Our assignments can change. Look what Paul says at the end of verse 21. He says that the circumstances to which God has called us can change, right? So you see the point? If a person is a servant of Christ, he should recognize that that particular life is part of what God has assigned him, all that he's been given, and he should live it well. But if he sees an opportunity to gain his freedom, he shouldn't say, no, God has called me to servitude and that's where I'll stay. He should take advantage of that opportunity and then recognize that God has changed his assignment. So what do we learn from calling from all this? Well, again, you can probably see that Paul's use of calling here is very different from the way so many Christians talk about calling. Again, for so many of us, calling is that one big thing that God wants us to pursue with our life. And that one thing rarely, if ever, changes. It's what we're made for and gifted for. It's maybe what we're passionate about. It's what gives us a sense of meaning and fulfillment. We often think that's our calling. But again, Paul doesn't seem to think of it that way at all. For him, our first and foremost calling is to follow Jesus and to live a life worthy of the salvation he has won for us. And we do that in the midst of all of the life circumstances that God assigns to us whatever those might be, at any given moment of our lives. And he also recognizes that we have freedom, freedom to pursue many God-glorifying ways to live out this worthy life. So now let's turn our attention to application. Let's turn our attention to application. So what's your calling? What's your calling? Well, let's, let's bring it down to the grit of real life, and let's apply this to our lives. Do you know what your divine calling is? Do you know what your particular 
divine assignment is? Well, look around, right? Look at your life. Look at the responsibilities, opportunities, duties, and circumstances that God has put into your life. All of that, every detail of it, is what God has assigned you right now. That's what He has called you to. Yes, your assignment might change, but for now, these opportunities, these responsibilities and circumstances, these are your assignment, your deployment, your calling. And therefore, your even greater calling is to engage all of those, all of those opportunities, circumstances, all those things in your life in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Calling is not that one big thing. It's everything in your life at any given moment. The thing is, if you misunderstand this, you'll be tempted to think that attaining that one big thing is how you'll find satisfaction and fulfillment in life. And you'll fail to see that God has good purposes for every circumstance in your life right now. But let's start to think about what happens if we truly start to see calling this way, if we start to understand what Paul says here. In so many ways, it helps us to be more faithful in the assignments that God has given us for this time in your life. So kids, students who are here, my kids, if this is is what, what God has you doing now, instead of working as little as possible, kind of mailing it in at school, you'll recognize that at least for now, whether you love Latin or math or whatever subject, whatever school and the homework you have is precisely what God has assigned you. It's part of your calling and your assignment. It's your deployment from the throne. And therefore, you should take it seriously and engage it with energy and faithfulness, recognizing that you are working for the king even as you go to school, even as you do your work. In the workplace, instead of feeling trapped in your calling, perhaps because you no longer desire it or you feel like you're not gifted for it, you'll be free to recognize that God often changes our assignments and deployments. Life happens in waves and stages and seasons, and so do our deployments from the throne. It may very well be that God deploys you for a season where you are to do one thing, and then in another season, as it dawns, He may give you another assignment entirely. What about the difficult assignment of motherhood? You know, maybe you're a mother and realizing as much as you desire to raise a family, it's hard work and hard work that you might not be particularly gifted for. And on top of it, you you receive very little feedback from your customers. You know, maybe you feel like this is grinding you down. However, knowing that this is part of God's assignment to you will empower you to have patience and work at parenting with a renewed sense of joy, realizing that He will gift you for everything that He assigns you. You know, perhaps you're in a difficult circumstance, possibly an illness or have chronic pain uh, that keeps you from doing the things that you thought for sure God uh, had as your assignment in life. And you can't understand uh, why God has deployed you to your current circumstances. You, in, th- in this situation, you can trust that there is a good reason 
that God is using even your suffering to help you live a life worthy of your calling. In, in everything that we're doing, you are right now where God has called you to be. To be sure, the calling in your life, the particular circumstance you're in, might change next week or next decade. But for now, this is exactly where the king has you. This is what he has assigned to you, these circumstances. So Abraham Kuyper once said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which God who is sovereign does not cry mine. Well, praise God that's true, but praise God it's also true that there's not one split second over which God is not sovereign as well. God does not make mistakes and he does not forget us. Whatever the circumstance of your life right now, whether you like them or not, whether they fit your passions or not, this is what the king has given you. So serve him well. You know, as we learned in our study of Ruth that just concluded, so many times God is doing much more that we can see in our circumstances. Trust him for how he is leading your life. And for all of us who might be tempted to be discouraged when the plans we have for our lives diverge with what actually plays out in reality, we can grow in trusting God's sovereignty. You know, Scripture encourages us to plan, but we always do so with an open hand, trusting God for the ultimate fulfillment of those purposes. We read earlier in Proverbs 16, we know that we, as humans, we plan, we commit, and we cast, but it's ultimately the Lord who replies, who determines, and who decides. So practically, what this means is that our lives should be pursued and it's, it's great to pursue life with a vision for the future and towards some ultimate goals. It's, 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 quite frankly, a good stewardship of the talents God has given us to think through how can I best use these for the service to Him and for serving our family and for being involved uh, in church. It's great to do that, but we always do that with an open hand. You know, we need to push hard on the plow that God has put in front of us but we do it with an open hand, recognizing that he can change those plans that we have. Whatever you do, we can approach it with the goal of being faithful, leaving any measure of fruitfulness to God. You know, it's, it's tremendously freeing when we see that our role is to be found faithful in the exercise of our abilities, opportunities, and, the, and, and responsibilities in the providential circumstances of our lives, trusting that God will ultimately determine the fruitfulness of exactly how all of that plays out. So whatever you do, as a husband, or father, or wife, or mother, or friend, or grandparent, or citizen, neighbor, worker, officer, teacher, student, child, make it your goal in 2023 to do it more faithfully as unto the Lord. And all your assignments work with the enthusiasm, energy, and ethic befitting the king who you do it for. One, one kind of quick final question I do want to address before we conclude. How do you decide if God might be deploying you to a certain area of work or service, right? What, what one big thing might you be considering in 2023 and wondering, is this something the Lord would have me do? How do you decide if you're being assigned or deployed in this 1 Corinthians seven seventeen sense to change uh, a, a circumstance in your life, right? To take up something new. 
Well, I think it comes down broadly to three things, desire, gifting, and opportunity. If any one of those is missing, it, it's quite possible God isn't deploying you to that thing. But when they come together, it's probably a good thing to look at it and consider, is this what God might have? Right? One of the key elements in determining if God might be changing an assignment you have or deploying you for new service are your own desires. Right? In other words, do you want to do a particular thing that you're considering? Now, to be sure, even as Christians, our desires aren't always to be trusted, right? Like everything else, they can be affected by selfish ambition or greed or fear or laziness. But once you kind of vet out some of those things and, and consider, you know, vet out some of the effects of sin, a healthy and godly desire to do something is an important part of deciding if God might be calling you to that particular thing. But desire isn't the only issue to consider. There's also the question of, do you have the ability? right? Do you have the ability? Do you have the preparation? Do you have the experience for what you're considering? In other words, are you gifted for this thing? Again, that's often, I'd say, a question you can't always answer for yourself. This is where it's great to be in a church family where you can be surrounded by others who know you well and can help you think through your own abilities and your own gifting. Finally, even if we have a desire for something, we seem to have an ability for it, there's still the final question of whether God has actually provided an opportunity for you to do that thing. So just a quick example, you know, you might have a desire to be an astronaut. Everyone around you might think you'd be a great one, but until NASA emails you with an offer, God hasn't assigned or deployed you to be an astronaut, right? Desire and gifting are not enough. We also need opportunity. But, but even as we think through kind of some of these may, maybe big changes we have in our lives, we have to be careful. Ultimately, our assignments from God include everything God has put into our lives in any moment, whether we desire it or not, whether we feel particularly gifted for it or not. Or not. All the things God gives us, He's called us to, and he is, uh, he, He's not actually uh, putting them in our lives because we're the best at them all the time or because we have the greatest desire for them but because in his sovereign purposes, he wants to make us more like Christ as we live it out. So, what's your plan for 2023? Remember, precisely what you do is not nearly as important for for whom you do it for. You work for the king in every detail of your life. And you can be certain that he has good reasons for deploying you into the areas of work, service, responsibility, friendship, parenting, singleness, retirement, and all these other opportunities that you have. Maybe those things will change, but maybe not. And regardless, Paul said, lead the life that the Lord has assigned you to which God has called you. In the midst of it all, Live a life worthy of the high calling of salvation that you have. Let's pray.